Okay, we have a real treat today. Uh, for those of you who have been part of Sound City Bible Church for any length of time, you've, you've probably gotten used to the fact that when you see me leading the music, you know that I'm not preaching. So you're welcome. I will not preach at you today. Uh, but it is my distinct honor and my distinct privilege uh, not to invite in some guest speaker, some random person that I have to convince you is cool, uh, not to hand it off to Shane. You already know he's cool. That's fine. But it is my distinct privilege to hand it off today to our very own Pastor Doug Freiberg. So, yeah, I know. So, so, so Doug's going to share just a little bit about himself so that you can have, he can have credibility with you as he speaks. I'll let him do that more. But I just want to say for, for the last about three years of getting to know Doug and seeing his heart for Jesus uh, is exemplary. Seeing his love and care for people is exemplary. Seeing the gifts of leadership that God has given to him. Um, for, for Doug, he was uh, a little bit of a reluctant pastor, elder in our church, just in the sense of that uh, he, he, had, um, he operates in a place of genuine humility and has had a hard time seeing himself. Really, am I supposed to be that kind of rah-rah, chest-thumping leader sort of a guy? I'm like, hey, God calls all sorts of different men to that office of elder, to that office of pastor. And so uh, really thankful to have someone with his wisdom and his experience and his personality and his giftings that God's given to him to serve on our elder team. We are a much better church because of it. I mean that sincerely. And so I love you. Very thankful for you. And uh, he doesn't want to do this, but we told him he had to. So actually, uh, all joking aside, yesterday we sat together in my yard and enjoyed some sunshine and just ran through the whole sermon again together. And he has something really uh, just wonderful and biblical and truthful to share with you. And so I pray that you would uh, open your ears, your hearts, your minds to receive from what God wants to say through him. I'm going to invite our our sister, uh, Caitlin, to come and she's going to read the scripture and uh, try not to go into labor as well while she does so. When your due date was like three days ago, right? Tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. Okay. So we're fine. So uh, if, you, if you have your Bibles, <laughs> I invite you to open to Ruth chapter 4 as we conclude this uh, book of Ruth that we've been. Uh, she'll read the scripture for us, then Pastor Doug will come and preach. So this is Ruth four fourteen through 17. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Thanks for doing that. I'm the treat. So are you disappointed? Good morning, Sound City Bible Church. My friends and my family, our guests, as you heard, my name is Doug Freiberg, and I am one of the pastors here at Sound City. I sometimes have a hard time saying that, so truly it is great to be with you today. It's a beautiful day. How do you guys like the snow on the ground from the cottonwood trees? (laughs) Yeah, that stuff gets a little annoying sometimes, but it's kind of fun to see snow in in, uh, May. So, if you are a visitor, I ask your forbearance because you are experiencing rookie school. As the pastors have turned over the helm to me for the next few minutes, just a second to talk about our pastors. By the way, the the worship was great this morning. It's even going to get better as they're playing one of my favorite songs coming up here. But Sound City is very fortunate to have the pastors we have who faithfully present God's word to us in a way that truly touches my soul every week, every week. These men who teach us have applied themselves to years of diligent study. I think Shane is working on his PhD. I don't know if his his fourth or fifth PhD. I might as well throw a little hyperbole in there, right? And Aaron is also working at, at diligently, I think, on his master's. So... The big, one of the things is they know big words, and they actually know what they mean. So I might throw in a big word here or there, but don't ask me what they mean. So. <laughs> I am so thankful to have been loved and taught by many great pastors in my life. I can't honor them all, but I am honored to serve, with Sound, serve them with Sound City. I have great appreciation for, here we go, 
Pastor Shane Patrick, Pastor Jamin Barker, and Pastor Aaron Gray. Now, I don't know Hebrew or Greek, but I do know Jesus. And I am trusting that he has given me a layman, a perspective to share with you today. Yes, I am a pastor, but I'm, I'm definitely a layman. Preparing for day has been one of the most difficult things I have done. But I believe at least one person today needs to hear what God has given me to share with you. And just so you know, that all changed because Friday night, I started rewriting the whole thing and finished Saturday morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> I also trust that God is using the process to form me into the man he is creating me to be. Since no one has heard me preach before, and who knows, you may never hear me preach again, <laughs> I, I thought it might, be help, it might be helpful to try and connect a little bit by sharing a little bit about myself. I hope you will indulge me using my laptop for my notes. I wasn't going to do that, but this is my security blanket. I work off of this, so consider it my training wheels. Now, this next part might feel a little bit like the Academy Awards, because I want to tell you about myself by acknowledging the people in my life who have brought me to this day. You guys, I'm an emotional guy, and I, I almost guarantee you this, I won't make it through this without something coming down the cheek. But I'll try to keep it usual than the shorter, uh, sh usual than the, shorter than the usual acceptance speech. So I'm going to start with my parents, Jim and Anna Freiberg. They raised us in Ballard. Ha. Huh. Just a minute. I forgot my friend. This is Bubba. So my daughter Andrea gave this to me. Thank you, honey. So we were raised in Ballard, and they taught us, and they showed us, more than anything, they showed us how to love others, how to have fun, how to be faithful, and how to be generous, to be perseverant and patient, and they taught me to work hard at Ballard Hardware and Supply. Huh. The business they founded in 1952, and now known as Ballard Industrial, where I have had the privilege to work for over 50 years. Yes, I did start early. I was about five years old. <laughs> and my wife, Linda, she worked there about 30 years. My parents laid the foundation of my faith and my belief in God at Calvary Lutheran Church in Ballard. It also reinforced my uh, work at Tic-Tac-Toe, Hangman, and Connect the Dots, because <laughs> that's what I spent most of my time doing. So last year, I had the honor and the privilege To baptize my parents. You see it up there. Yeah, I was crying then too. They were, back then they were 88 and 84 years old. So they're here at the service. So thank you mom and dad for all these gifts you've given me. This wasn't supposed to start this early. You have modeled so much of what I want to be. And I love you. Moving on. My two sisters are some of my best friends. And they are my strong, one, my, some of my strongest supporters. Kim and I fit, followed our sister Julie into some of our greatest passions, like live theater, snow skiing, and what I'm most thankful for, Julie's faith in Jesus. Introducing bo us both to Young Life and Calvary Fellowship, where Linda and I were married 36 years ago, and we raised our kids there. Okay, so coming up here, the picture of my family. Yes, it's a Santa picture, and that's the last family picture I have, so that's what you got. How's it look up there? Yep. So on your left, oh, let's see here. Let me go with this. So you know God has taught me so much through raising kids. I believe he shows us a glimpse, a mere shadow of how much he loves us as we raise our own kids. I also believe he uses our kids as a mirror on how we as God's children sometimes treat him. I remember my kids' teen years feeling ignored or taken for granted by our kids. And then all of a sudden, I would pause and reflect and say, man, God, is that how I treat you? Like an insolent teenager at times. I am so sorry. There's so many times while we were raising our kids, I just, I understood more about the father's heart and about me in my, seeing that in my kids. Our son, Nick, is married to Charlene, and they have two kids, Landon and Sydney. Landon's seven, and Sydney's four. 
I'd like to offer a word of encouragement to parents of teens and adult kids. If your kids once walked with the Lord, but they are not at this, walking with the Lord at this time. So during his college years, our son Nick told me his faith was not a priority to him. Linda and I were crushed. Years later at Mars Hill Church, I was in tears. Can you imagine that? <laughs> As I watched Nick praying over his wife during communion. And to this day, you guys may have noticed this, I follow his, his example. And I pray over my wife every Sunday at communion. Thanks, Nick. I hope the rest of this is easier. <laughs> Our daughter, Andrea, and her husband, Kyle, have two boys, Cooper, seven, and Caden, five, sometimes lovingly known as chaos and mayhem. <laughs> they are a joy. My mom told me that uh, boring kids make boring adults. So <laughs> based, on, based on my childhood, I must not be a very, very boring adult because I was not a boring child, so... For better or for worse, Andy and I are much alike. Sorry about that, honey. We both overcommit, share our love for family, having fun, live theater again, and Jesus. I love you so much. I got to get through this. May, many of you know my wife, Linda. In fact, this morning, she served breakfast to the production crew. She is a rock star when it comes to serving us. She is a model of faithfulness. On the kitchen table is her Bible. It's a well-worn Bible. And I am so thankful for her devotion to God and how he speaks to us through his word. She is incredibly good to me, to our family, and to Sound City. Thank you, sweetheart. So, moving on. In 1971, Isabel Huntoon, the school nurse at James Monroe Junior High School at Ballard, invited me to an after-school Bible club. Mrs. Huntoon led me to trust in what Jesus did on the cross for me and not anything to do with how good I was. I am forever grateful. Finally, I thank God that he revealed himself to me in many ways, in his word, in the miracle of life and his creation, in the life of Jesus, in our family, our church family and friends who have been a part of my life. He revealed himself to me in you guys. In the hope and peace that I have had during the setbacks of life that do not require me to understand them, but instead to remember who God is because he is loving. He's worthy of our trust. He's kind. He's generous. He's powerful. He's awesome and mighty. Yet he is gentle, merciful, and he's full of grace. My hope and desire, my prayer, is that somehow, someway, today we will all know that Believe that just a little bit more. So now before we go into our sermon today, finally, I'm going to pray from a book of old Puritan prayers called The Valley of Vision. Sometimes Pastor Aaron prays from that. It's a book that was given to me that is, if you think, if you remember that, it's a great book to find. My master God, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I am desired to preach today, but I go weak and needy to my task. Yet I long that people might be edified with divine truth, that an honest testimony might be born for thee. Give me assistance in preaching and prayer with heart uplifted for grace and unction. May thy people be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted. And help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from Christ's incarnation and sufferings that men might be made holy. I myself need thy support, comfort, strength, holiness, that I might be a pure channel of thy grace and be able to do something for thee. Give me then refreshment among thy people and help me not to treat excellent matter in a defective way or bear a broken testimony to so worthy a redeemer. Or be harsh in treating of Christ's death, its design and end from lack of warmth and fervency. And keep me in tune with thee as I do this work. Father, I come to you and I submit to you. I ask you to fill me and my friends here with your Holy Spirit. 
that we may know you, glorify you, and enjoy you forever. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord and King. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. Amen. So we have spent the last three weeks looking at the story of Ruth, which focuses on the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and the series of setbacks that they experience. So isn't this just a part of life? Haven't we all experienced setbacks in our lives? I know that, that we can all relate to this. Just last weekend, Lynn and I took the truck we bought in December over to Idaho. Great trip, testing it out and that sort of thing. Well, about a half hour before we got to Spokane, we experienced one setback after another. And to cut to the chase, the truck is at the Ford dealership in Coeur d'Alene, where it is getting a new motor. Hmm? That's okay. All things. Now, in the scope of life, this is a minor, though expensive, setback and certainly a big disappointment. I know that our daily lives are quite often a series of setbacks, disappointments, and even tragedy. The book of Ruth speaks to us about life, the two steps forward and one step back, setbacks, disappointments, and tragedy that we experience. So let me recap what has happened so far. In chapter one, because of famine, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, and their sons leave their hometown of Bethlehem in Israel and go to Moab, which happened to be an enemy of the Jews. There, Elimelech, her husband, dies, and their sons marry Moabite women, which was forbidden by their God. And for 10 years, these women are barren. Then her sons die. It just gets worse. A very bitter Naomi decides to return to her home in Bethlehem, saying, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, will not leave her side and beautifully states, Do not urge me to leave. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. It's beautiful. Then in chapter 2, while in Bethlehem, we meet Boaz, a wealthy farmer, to save the day. They have renewed hope. But Boaz, a typical guy, may be afraid of commitment. Boaz doesn't make a move. He doesn't propose to Ruth as they were hoping for. Moving on to chapter 3, Naomi and Ruth make a risky move. Ruth goes to Boaz in the middle of the night and says, in effect, I want you to spread your wing over me as my husband. Forward. Boaz and Ruth fall in love, so it worked. Hope springs eternal, but by Hebrew law and custom, there's another in line, a kinsman or relative who comes before Boaz. So in chapter 3, we see another setback. So you know, may know the end of the story, just like Titanic, the boat sinks. Sorry about that. Spoiler alert. But what would you say to Ruth in the middle of her disappointments? What do we say to each other in our setbacks our disappointments, our tragedies. I've been in this position. It's very hard. Hey, don't worry. There's a glorious end coming. I like what Pastor John Piper says. Life is one curve after another, and we never know what's coming. But the point of the story is that the best is yet to come. No matter where you are, if you love God, the best is yet to come. So this leads to our big idea. So I want to make a very bold statement here. For the believer in Jesus, for the believer in Jesus, the future is always filled with hope. The future is always filled with hope. And the end of the story is always Redemption and restoration. So let's get going on chapter 4 in the book of Ruth, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. 
And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Very compliant people. So let's get to know who these people are. Previous chapters tell us a little bit about Boaz. As I mentioned, he appears to be a well-to-do farmer, older than Ruth. He is a godly man who greets his workers. May the Lord bless you. I probably need to try that at work, huh? We also see him as a generous man, allowing people in need to gather unharvested grain from his fields, a Hebrew custom called gleaning, which helps provide for the poor. He is very generous to Ruth. He directs his workers to leave some of the grain unharvested for her benefit. He allows Ruth to take grain from areas that have not yet been harvested. And later, he gives her a bunch of grain. Very generous man. Boaz also demonstrates great kindness as he invites Ruth to not only glean in his fields, but orders his workers to watch over her. And he promises the Ruth the night before, I will do for you all that you ask. Yes. Then as what he's really saying is, yes, I will marry you. Now let's talk about the Redeemer mentioned here. In Hebrew culture, the Redeemer is a male relative who, according to the various laws of the first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or in need. The Hebrew term goel, for kinsman redeemer, designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. So, there's my first Hebrew word there. Watch out, Aaron. I might not let this baby go. No worries. So this reamer basically had the first right of refusal in redeeming Naomi. He had to choose to act as the Goel. If, excuse me, if he chose to act as the Goel. Then Boaz would leave empty-handed and break his promise to Ruth. So the other characters we meet here is the elders of the city. They would hang out at the city gate, the combined courthouse and town hall, where they would meet and conduct business, settle claims and disputes, and witness transactions and decide cases. So one thing I notice here about Boaz is that he's a man of action. After Ruth had asked Boaz to cover her, Boaz basically promises to be her husband. And after that, Boaz doesn't just sit around. He goes up to the gates the next day to make the most of the opportunity. I think what is important to note here is that Boaz responds to the opportunity presented to him. He doesn't just say, let go and let Yahweh. So, I can't take credit for that. That was Pastor Aaron's idea. No, they didn't. So, uh, but a boom. Gave me a chance to get a drink. But Boaz, even though he knows God is sovereign, that God is in control responds to the opportunity, makes a plan, and takes action. So there's a principle here that challenges me. God initiates, and we respond. That's one reason I'm here today. God initiated this in the hearts of Aaron and Shane and Jamin. I didn't really want to respond. I laughed when they first said it. But I told myself this. God initiates And we respond. So here I am today. We need to pay attention to how God is working in our lives and respond to the opportunities presented to us, especially in areas of our gifts and abilities. Where would we be this morning if the band was not responding to their gifts and their abilities? We wouldn't have had that great music we have. Where would we be if Aaron had not stepped up when we planted Sound City Bible Church. He responded. I'm so grateful for people who respond, and I want to be the person who responds. Now, it doesn't mean you say yes to everything that comes your way, like when they ask if you will preach. (laughs) Think about that, Steve. (laughs) But consider each opportunity that comes into your life as possibly from God. Pray about it. Even if it is way out of your comfort zone, trust me, God initiates in ways that can really stretch you. So I I try to live my life without regrets. That's one of the things I really try to do. Not wanting to miss something that God wants me to be involved in. 
some blessing that God may have brought my way, but I chose to not respond to. And I know I've missed so many things. So I want you to think about your life for a minute. Is there something? Is there something that God has initiated in your life? Some prompting, something he has laid on your heart. Have you responded? I know that many times I've realized God has been prompting me and it has taken me quite a while to respond. Pardon me. I always wondered, what does a pastor do if he's preaching and he has to go to the bathroom? You know, it's kind of like, hey, I'll be back in a minute. I took care of that. We're good. So I want you to take that one home with you. Not that one home with you. Can we take that part out? Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> the bathroom's out the door to the left. Don't take that home with you. <laughs> Bringing you back, reeling you in. God initiates. God initiates, and we respond. So take that one home with you. Write it down if you need to. Remember to do this. Ask God to show you what he is patiently waiting for you to respond, and then go for it. So moving on to verse 3, or else we're going to be here all day. Then he, Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it here, in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not... Tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you, and he said, I will redeem it. No, excuse me, that was the redeemer. He said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I bear my own, impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He did not have the ability. He had the desire. I know this is kind of confusing based on our culture, but to summarize what's going on here. Naomi is selling the land. Perhaps it was sold to buy food during the famine or before they left for Moab. So according to Hebrew law, a kinsman must redeem it. Since the redeemer is a closer relative than Boaz, he has the first opportunity to purchase it, and at first chooses to do so. But when the redeemer realizes Ruth will become his wife as part of the deal, he changes his mind and tells Boaz, take my right of redemption. Time to celebrate, everybody. Engagement party at the lake. That's what we're going to do. This may seem an odd situation for us, but in the Hebrew culture, property rights were very important, very familial. Perpetuation of the family line was very important. These two were often tied together, family and land. Inheritance meant both. So I know it's all about context, but at face value, these next verses seem odd as well. Listen to what happens as the right of redemption is transferred from the Redeemer to Boaz. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. So we know the book of Ruth was written after King David because it speaks of King David. As the wording implies, this was an older custom and not familiar when the book of Ruth was written. To confirm a transaction, the one, this would be the unnamed redeemer, drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. That would be Boaz. The unnamed redeemer took off his sandal and gave it to Boaz as the right of redemption was transferred. Probably should have worn my keens today and I could have given them to Aaron here. We talked about that, but I didn't want to subject you to that. Um, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. To attest is to be a witness, to certify formally. There is another part of this custom, not spoken of here, where Naomi would have spat in the face of the unknown redeemer since he would not do his duty, and I guess they didn't find that necessary this time. So verse 8. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, 
You are witnesses this day, and I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Again, the importance of the property. Verse 10, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Again, the importance in perpetuating the family line. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthy, worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Had to practice that word, Ephrathah. It seems Ephrathah was an old name for Bethlehem. Remember now, the people at the gate are blessing Ruth, a woman from the enemies of Israel. They were considered detestable, Moab. But Pastor John Corson points out that never again is Ruth called a Moabitess because now she has been absorbed in the covering of Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. So not only are they blessing her, but they ask the Lord, make Ruth like the Moabite, the Ruth the Moabite, like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah are the matriarchs of Israel, who though barren gave birth to the 12 sons of Jacob and are the progenitors of the 12 tribes of Israel. Another big word there. Now another blessing, sort of. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So this one is complicated and messy. I'm going to go through it here. Judah is one of the sons of Jacob's, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Judaism, and also a tribe of Israel. So you got Judah, and then you have Tamar. Tamar was married to Judah's firstborn son, Ur, who died before Tamar conceived a child. Perez is the son of Judah and Tamar. And remember, Tamar is Judah's father-in-law. So the daughter-in-law and the father-in-law had a baby. I don't want to go into that. <laughs> Can I leave it at this? Ruth and Boaz and Judah and Tamar were both attempts at perpetuating a family line after the woman's husband died without conceiving children. So this is called the lever marriage. So even though very complicated, the point is that the people are praying that God will provide children to Ruth and Boaz despite that Ruth has been barren. Okay, any questions on that one? My email address is Aaron at SoundCityBibleChurch.com. Got you back. Never gets old. So verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Look how things have changed from the tragedy at the beginning of Ruth. Ruth went from widow in chapter one to self-proclaimed slave in chapter two to maidservant in chapter three to wife in chapter 4, and then God gave her conception, though she was, has been barren, a son, just as he did for Leah and Rachel. Ruth has now found rest. I can't help but be reminded of this verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from the book of James, chapter 1. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. First of all, the women are recognizing that the Lord is the author, the giver of new life, resulting from redemption. Personally, I found it confusing on this, this verse. 
who this Redeemer was in both 14 and 15, so I had to use a lifeline for the answer. The Redeemer they're referring to is Obed, Obed, Naomi's grandson. You might say that the birth of Obed brought heart-level redemption and restoration to Naomi. So read that again. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, your grandson Obed. And may his name, Obed's name, be renowned in Israel. It's quite a blessing. Continuing on to verse 15. He, Obed, shall be to you a restorer of life, like breathing new life into Naomi, restoring her, making her full of life again. You know, it seems like kids do that. They breathe new life into our lives. I know that as our grandkids were born... um, it was just invigorating in our family. It's just this new life. It was very exciting to have the new life. But then we spend the rest of the time trying to catch our breath. They, they wear us out. So not only will Obed be a restorer of life, but verse 15 continues on, and he will be a nourisher of your old age. Obed will take care of you like a son. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, who is more than seven sons, have, has given birth to him. Truly, Ruth was a gift to Naomi in her darkest hours. In chapter 1, Naomi said, I I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Which her name means pleasant. So why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? Naomi left full, then came back empty. She believed that God was condemning sins that she was unaware of. And that is why she was experiencing such calamity in her life. She was destitute, widowed, and childless. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Naomi was caring for Obed as a mother would. Maybe Ruth was working. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. A childless widow became the grandmother of Obed. Obed, who was the grandfather of King David. So now these are the generations of Perez. Perez, again, the son of Judah and Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Looking back at Ruth 2.12 and the blessing of Ruth, of Boaz for Ruth. May the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth from Moab takes refuge under God of Israel, who repays her for her losses of husband and being barren for 10 years with a husband and a child, and perhaps the full reward being part of the lineage of King David and King Jesus. Remember, the book of Ruth takes place in the dark days of the judges, the book we will resume next week, and I will not be teaching. (laughs) Judges tells us, in those days there was no king. But God was preparing a king. So how do we wrap this up? I want to circle back to our big idea. For the believer in Jesus, the future is always filled with hope. And the end of the story is always redemption and restoration. When I began to study Ruth a couple months ago, hope, hopelessness, disappointment kept coming to my mind. I began to wonder if one of our greatest needs in this life is hope. So where are you struggling with hopelessness? I just went through and made a list in our lives where we may struggle with hope. Situations that seem hopeless. The first one that came to my mind was unbelieving kids. For the believer... This is truly one of the hardest things in life. And Father, I pray for these kids right now and ask that the truth would be known in their hearts. We experience hopelessness in relationships, sometimes in marriage with a spouse, 
sometimes with our kids, our family, sometimes with relationships at work, sometimes relationships in the church. And sometimes it's that lack of relationship, the desire for community that is sometimes hard to find. Sometimes your job can be hopeless. Sometimes your church can be hopeless. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. Sometimes in the pursuit of happiness, sometimes we're looking for hope in marriage. We hope for marriage, and it doesn't come. Sometimes our government seems hopeless, and I'm not going to go into that. The world can be very hopeless. Illness, disease, the apple cup can seem hopeless. <laughs> For us cougars, sometimes the apple cup is hopeless. But we have won some of them. Right, guys? Sometimes, go cougs. Sorry, I wasn't, that, was, that wasn't scripted in here, you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. The mariners can sometimes be hopeless. Preaching, you guys, preaching. I, this, is, this is an emotional roller coaster for me. There were times where I felt so hopeless. Deadlines. Kind of goes with preaching for me. That can just fill you full of dread. Sometimes school, financial habits, drug, alcohol challenges. List could go on and on. So many things can cause us to struggle with hope. I wanted to go through that list to, to try and stir something in you. It may seem simplistic, perhaps offensive to some, but I want to talk to two different groups of people here. To the Christian, to the one who has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, the one who believes in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Those who are saved not because of what they have done, but solely on Jesus who took the punishment of our sins. God is working in our lives behind the scenes for our good. I had to ask myself, do I really believe God's word is true? Please hear me on this. Do I trust in my heart? That was me? I don't know. Do I trust in my heart that God's promises are true? It would be great to go through lots of scriptures, and we don't have the time. Examples of how this truth played out in the lives of so many. We could, right now, open the mic, and, and we'd have tons of stories. But I'm going to one verse in hopes that you will take this home with you. For me, believing this truth, truly deciding that this is true, is and has been a game changer in my life. I almost hate to go there because people use it in a careless manner. But the bottom line is that it's God's word, and it's true, and I, I bring it with love. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's go through this a little slower. For the Christian, those who love God, all things in capitals. All things, not some things. The Hebrew word for all is all. Okay? Sometimes Linda and I, just this morning, we just remind each other by saying all things. All things work together, much like a recipe. Many of the ingredients in a recipe taken alone are not good. Uh, trust me, I've tried them. But when they come together like a butter pecan cheesecake... They work together for good. <laughs> Trust me, I've experienced that one several times. So many of the things in our lives are good. We know what those are. But God, in his incredible power, uses the bad things for good. It is amazing. Then it says, all things work together for good. Remember, our Father loves us like no other. This has been proven in so many lives, but let's just quickly consider another example in the Bible out of the book of Genesis. 
The story of Joseph, son of Jacob, brother of Judah, was in Egypt after being sold into slavery by his brothers, rising to leadership, then being thrown into prison and falsely accused before rising to the highest position below Pharaoh. Yet he could say this to his brothers who caused all the pain. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God uses these things. He uses them over and over. Naomi and Ruth's lives had a lot of hardship and tragedy, but they ended up nicely with a bow on it. But it doesn't work out like that in this life always. So please understand that we have to remember God's definition of good. To come into a knowledge of God to know his goodness, to be transformed, influenced by, and begin to share in his character. All this with an eye toward eternity. Brothers and sisters, our hope is in eternity. Therefore, temporary pain may be good if it produces eternal growth. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As Christians, we must never forget, for the believer in Jesus, the future is always filled with hope. The end of the story is always redemption and restoration. Take heart in what you're going through. Father, the words I'm about to say, may these words be heard only as a cry of love for those who are here and not yet trusted Jesus as their Redeemer. With grief in my heart, I cannot say the same thing to those who have not trusted Jesus. I cannot say, your future will always be filled with hope. I cannot say, The end of the story is always redemption and restoration. I trusted in Jesus 46 years ago and am not one prone to claim dreams or visions or dogs barking. (laughs) Did anybody else hear that? (laughs) Thank you. Right on cue. But I had one experience many years ago. I don't remember when it was. And it was simply this. It seemed like I was somewhere else. I wasn't in earth on earth. Maybe I was in heaven. I don't know. But I just, this came to my mind. And an unknown friend of mine was not, not there with me. But somehow they said to me, why didn't you tell me? So I want to tell you, Without Jesus, what you are experiencing in this life is the best that it's going to be. God the Son became a man, Jesus, because he loves us so much that he was willing to come to earth, take on flesh, experience all that we experience, be tested by temptation in every way, yet he lived a sinless life so that he could die on a cross, taking the punishment that I deserved. That we deserve, that you deserve. Naomi and Ruth had a need that they could not fulfill. They were desperate and hopeless. They needed a redeemer, and Boaz had the means and the desire to be their redeemer. The other, the other redeemer did not, could not fulfill those, fulfill those both things. And we all have a need that we cannot fulfill. To get back into relationship with a loving God, Jesus has the means and the desire to be our Redeemer, to be your Redeemer. And He is the only way. Jesus made it clear. Jesus made it clear. I didn't. Jesus made it clear that there is only one Redeemer when He said in John 14... I am the way 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to, to the Father except through me. The book of Acts tells us there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you are here today and you're not a believer, Jesus wants you to trust in him. Let him be your redeemer. Ruth and Naomi were poor and homeless, and their only hope was a redeemer. We are spiritually poor and have only one hope. Jesus Christ, Son of God, our kinsman redeemer. As Boaz took Ruth to be his wife, so the Lord Jesus has chosen sinners to be his bride. bride. Me, sinner. Thank God he has not left us without a kinsman. Thank you, God. Christ is the restorer of our lives. He is the nourisher of our old age. Like Boaz, our Lord Jesus will not rest until he has finished the thing. And he will finish it. I could not say this without going further. If you would like to trust Jesus as your Savior and Redeemer, please pray to yourself with me now. Like something like this. Dear God, I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son and that he died for my sins and you raised him to life. I want to invite Jesus into my heart to take control of my life. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Father, I pray for these, my friends. I pray that they would know you. That they would experience the joy of your salvation. That they would have hope in their hopelessness. And that we who know you will tell our friends. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him alone be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. God bless you all.